welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to today's Dietitian Connection podcast episode. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the director and founder of Dietitian Connection. And I'm so pleased that we're going to be able to talk about navigating NDIS for dietitians and participants in our episode today. I'm so pleased to welcome Charity Spaulding and Mark Brown. Uh, Charity is a dietitian who's passionate about nutrition for people with disability. And after initially working at various adult hospitals, Charity spent the last decade providing nutrition support for children with disability and their families. In the last three years, she's also branched out into private practice, focusing on providing dietetic services to NDIS participants, both adults and children. And at the beginning of this year, before the year looked so ominous and changed for all of us, she decided to leave the safety net of a government health job and commit fully to her disability and paediatric focused private practice, which is called Accessible Nutrition. Charity is also the co-author of the inclusive cookbook, Easy Healthy Tasty, a cookbook for anyone designed to empower those who aren't confident in the kitchen to cook for themselves. And welcome and thanks so much for joining us, Charity. Thanks for having me. I'd also like to introduce Mark Brown, and Mark is a lifelong user of disability services and since 2018 has been a participant of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or the NDIS. And Mark has a congenital neuromuscular disability and uses his NDIS funding to pay for a daily attendant care, services from allied health professionals and equipment like his motorised wheelchair and other assistive technology. When not navigating the NDIS for himself, Mark works as a researcher and consultant focusing on, you guessed it, disability. And in 2013, he completed a PhD in psychology and has worked within the disability sector to help businesses, organisations, governments, and the broader community answer important questions with hard data. So thanks also for joining us today, Mark. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'd also like to thank Fresenius Carby for supporting today's podcast episode. So let's get started. Um, Charity, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've come to work in the NDIS space? Yeah, so, I, uh, so I'm a dietitian, obviously, and when I first graduated from uni, I really wanted to work in paediatrics, but that didn't happen straight away. Um, so I spent a few years working um, lots of short-term jobs in various hospitals across Sydney before finally breaking into the paediatric space uh, with my first job at one of the major paediatric hospitals here in Sydney. Um, That job was titled as being an enteral nutrition support role, but it was more than that. It was enteral nutrition support for children with disability. And if I'm perfectly honest, I took the job because it had always been my dream to work in paediatrics, not because of the disability component of it. Um, But over the last decade, especially uh, working in that job, I've had the privilege of working with so many different families and um, have become really passionate about the area. Somewhere along the way, but um, especially with a bit of help from Mark and his fiancée, Claire, I realised that uh, not everybody felt the same way as as I did about people with disability and um, helping them to optimise their nutrition. And so that's really become my focus. Uh, And so in the first week of January this year, 
like you mentioned, before we knew what 2020 had in store, I left um, a hospital job, which I did love, uh, but I left it to focus on growing my business in the NDIS space uh, because there really aren't that many people out there with my skill set. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, a bit about me. Thanks so much, Charity. And maybe either yourself or Mark, and could you also tell us about how you came to know each other? Um, I can, I'll, I'll say a couple of words. Um, yeah, we go, um, Charity and I go way back. We met in year seven at school um, and um, so had a long-running you know, long friendship um, through high school and, um, yeah, have kept in touch ever since. And um, um, it was when... It was quite surprising and interesting when um, Charity started working in paediatrics and, and she mentioned that she had some had some patients um, with disabilities and in the same condition that I that I have. Um, um, that yeah, well, it was interesting that it, that um, things we talked about um, um, back in the day. Um, that uh, now she was using some of that, that background knowledge in, in her work. Yeah, cool. And Mark, um, thanks for sharing how you came to know Charity and it's wonderful that you've been able to be connected for such a long time since you know, primary school. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've come to be an NDIS participant? Well, um, um, I feel like I'm getting old now, but... Um, it's, um, I had a disability from birth and so I've been a user of disability services um, for, a, for a long, long time. And, um, and so I guess, yeah, just disability has always been a part of my life and I received services and disability funding through the through the old system, the, the state-based system, for several years, um, and um, was kind of, I was kind of amazed when the idea of the NDIS took off ar around 2010, 2011. Um, um, it, it became quite a quite a, a big idea, and, and like it was going to get off the ground. So um, I became an NDIS participant um, two years ago when they transitioned me from the previous funding system I was on into the, into the NDIS. And can you tell us a little bit about how the NDIS works, Mark, from the perspective of someone who's currently using it? And yeah, sure. Um, it's... Um, in terms of um, on a personal level, I guess it's in it's in the background um, most of the time. Um, but then, at certain points during the year, particularly or and particularly when you start off in the NDIS, um, the process of of getting a funding plan um, and setting up all your supports is 
is a reasonably involved process, at least for me. I've got quite a few different disability supports that I need. Um, so it's it's both, if, if I'm going to be completely honest, it's both like a really amazing, fantastic thing and, and the NDIS has has enabled um, me to do um, do a lot more things or made life easier in, in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there definitely are complexities and frustrations. Um, and through my work doing consulting in the sector, also that I hear from other people, other participants, um, professionals, um, OTs, physios, and dietitians. Um, it's there's definitely teething problems, and there's um, there's a, I think there's a long way to go in terms of the whole sector working out how to make the most of the NDIS and make it work as smoothly um, for everyone as as possible. Mm. Can you tell us more about the process in getting that first NDIS plan or any tips for someone who's looking to go through that same process and then how did sure. you find out whether you were eligible or not? Well, I, um, there, in the beginning of the NDIS as it started to roll out, there was a rule that anyone that was on state-based funding um, would automatically be eligible um, for the NDIS. So that's how, um, that's how I became eligible and how the process started for me. But there are many, many people who um, really weren't receiving any or many disability supports um, under the old system at all. And the, uh, I guess in, initially what it's taken is the word to get around that you can um, ring up the, the NDIS, ring up the National Disability Insurance Agency and request access, and then that will start the process. Um, so for, for people who, um, who um, aren't sure if, if they would be eligible, the place to start is really as quickly as possible um, making contact with the National Disability Insurance Agency and um, requesting access, saying, please, please assess me um, for, for eligibility and help me go through that, go through that process. Great. Thanks, Mark. And so you, in your experience, what's been the biggest shift from how things were before to how things are now in terms of NDIS and the way you receive funding or the support that you get through the program? Well, for me, um, a lot of things um, just carried over um, um, because I was already receiving some supports. But the crucial, the crucial thing about the NDIS as a participant compared to uh, how it was is that the, the, the NDIS Act, the law that established the NDIS, says there's an entitlement of people with disabilities to reasonable and necessary disability supports. So, whereas in the, in the 
old system, there was um, you know, an effort to to distribute um, what funding was available to people in the most need, and you would sort of put your hand up and say, "Hey, um, I would benefit," and you'd maybe sit on a waiting list for a certain amount of time, and and um, and if you if you were told you could have a certain number of hours of of attendant care support or you could have um, a certain amount of money for a for a wheelchair um, you'd be pretty happy with whatever was allocated but the it's a huge thing I think psychologically that now I know that um, that I can say by law if I can show that these things are reasonable and necessary, um, they do have to be funded. Now, um, showing that something's reasonable and necessary is sometimes easier said than done. And there's there's paperwork, and there's red tape, and there's um, and there's complexities there. But it's it's a fundamentally different mindset because it's not it's not a uh, it's not a it's not a charitable um, thing anymore it's it's not um, for want of a better word you don't feel like you're begging for please give me whatever supports you can and I'll and I'll be thankful it's for me, it's, I find it's much more a sense of, um, of collaboration between me, um, the professionals that work with me, and the, and the NDIS to collaborate to um, maximise my potential um, and, and to, while doing that, actually minimize the costs in the long run um the problem with the old system was that often it, the, the funding would come as you started to deteriorate or as you found yourself in a crisis and um and at that point um if if you wait that long you may need even more intensive supports um, one of the ideas behind the NDIS is that if you set up the right kinds of supports early, whether that's um, whether that's physiotherapy or whether that's um, educational supports or um, diet, you know, getting the right diet and diet supports, that you'll prevent problems down the run and actually save money in the long run. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's how I'd summarise the 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 main difference. Mm-hmm. So if I hear you correctly, that there's a, quite a few more positives as a result of the NDIS than the old system. The old system was collapsing. It just mm-hmm. um, it just couldn't keep on going um, because it actually was more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the population is getting bigger, um, it, it, it just wasn't get, going to hold up. Mm. Um, 
And so the NDIS was absolutely, absolutely necessary um, in my view. And um, it's something that had bipartisan support. It really wasn't a controversial wasn't a controversial idea at all. Yeah. The old system was um, was really inequitable as well because it was so state dependent. And you know, I, I know even just just purely from a dietetics point of view, the the access to um, services and products, uh, you know, and co-payment levels and that sort of thing uh, between states was completely inequitable. We had you'd have families that would move to Sydney from Melbourne who had never had to pay for their enteral formulas before because it was all provided uh, in Victoria. And then they'd move to Sydney and all of a sudden the families would be kind of thinking, whoa, hang on, we haven't budgeted to pay for this as well. Like, you know, how is that fair? We didn't have to pay for it down there. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's one of the really important things about the NDIS as well is that it's, you know, it's designed to to really have that level playing field no matter where you live, which is completely reasonable. Yeah, totally agree, um, Charity. And so from a dietitian's perspective, Charity, for those who are w- interested in working with people with disability or the NDIS, how do they go about going through that process? Uh, so I think, you know, just like any clinical area, the first thing you really need to do is think, do I have the skills to work in this area? And if I don't, uh, how might I go about that? And so I think one of the first things to really be aware of is the dietetic core standards um, that outline the skills and knowledge required for dietitians working with people with disability that was put out by, um, it was a joint project between Family and Community Services here in New South Wales and the Cerebral Palsy Alliance a few years ago. Um, and really, people can Google that document. It's available as a PDF just online for free. Um, but it will go. It goes through a whole heap of the different types of skills that you need to be across um, if you want to work in the area. Because I think you know one of the one of the the first thing really is to make sure that you're providing a safe surface. Uh, and so doing that is one way of doing that. Um, also making sure that you've got um, some good clinical support, whether you've got a mentor or a clinical supervisor um, or, you know, even an, even a sort of an ad hoc unofficial kind of relationship um, with people that are working in the sector, I think is, is a really beneficial thing to have uh, so that you, you've got people that you can use as sounding boards and, uh, and get bits of information from. Um, it's really important, though, even if you've got all of that happening, that you're, you're really aware of the limitations of your own skills um, because, you, you know, it's, it's, it's all just part of that, that providing a safe service thing. If people come to me and they, they're looking for, even, you know, if, if it's somebody with a disability who calls up looking for a dietitian services, but they've got really complex allergies, on, you know, food allergies on top of that, for example, I'm going to refer them on because I don't, I don't feel like I have the, the skills in, in that area. Um, and you need to just always be aware of that like you would with referrals from any other area. But in terms of how do you actually um, see those, those people, I guess uh, for people who have NDIS funding, one of the things to be aware of is that there are different funding models available for people that are, that are using NDIS funding. Uh, and if they are what's called self-managed or if they're plan managed, then they can see any providers that they like. And so that doesn't limit you, you know, you know, you can see them no matter what. 
but if they are uh, if their funding is agency managed then you need to be an NDIS registered provider to be able to provide a service for that person. And what have you found the differences to be in terms of working in health versus working as a private provider providing support to NDIS participants? I think um, I think the biggest difference really is that there there is a bit of a um, a mind shift and I, I mean I think too one of the big differences is when you're working in a hospital setting you know you're really kind of focused on that acute care kind of model a lot of the time um, whereas working um, out in the community it's it's more of a uh, you know community-based wellness kind of you know you're seeing people when they're well you're meeting with people when they're well uh, and your role is to to help um, help them figure out how to either become you know more well from a nutrition point of view or or how to help people get get to get to whatever their optimum level of uh, of nutrition is um, but i think too there's a big shift about choice and control which is one of the things that really underpins the ndis and one of the things that i think makes it really great is that that power doesn't sit with the health professional it sits with the person for whom you're providing the services to so it's a really, um, it's a different kind of mind, uh, like, ment I don't know, mental space to, to work in sometimes. Um, whereas, you know, I think historically, at least within the health, it's kind of like, we're here to do this for you. Whereas uh, under NDIS, like Mark was saying, it's more about, I'm here to work with you. Uh, I'm here to, to, to do what you need me to do. Um, but I'm here to help you do it for yourself ultimately, uh, and that's you know how 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 can how can you how can the person with the you know who has disability how can they do the things that they want to do? What can I do to help support them in their life choices uh, so that they can live their lives the way that they want to? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean that's great. That it's such a collaborative approach, and Mark, that's what you've really found the benefit or that that mind set shift that you talked about was really important to you I, I think too one of the one of the things that makes ndis quite difficult for particularly dietitians though is that um, with that the ndis they're not really interested in clinical outcomes they're interested in social and functional outcomes and so for, as dietitians when you're writing letters of like and reports and things like that there it's it's a totally different language that you need to try and get your head across uh, and a totally different space to work in rather than your, you know, the clinical report letters that you might otherwise send to a doctor, that's not going to cut it with the NDIS. Um, you know, they, they're not, they're not interested in, uh, I guess they're not, not particularly interested in PEZ statements and things like that. They're, they're interested in, okay, well, how is what you're providing actually impacting on this person's life or how is this support that, um, you know, that, that you're saying you're going to provide, how will that impact on this person's life and how will that better able them to do the things that they, um, they want to do as part of their everyday life? So there's part of the NDIS legislation that actually says that the NDIS isn't supposed to replace um, or um, take over things that the health system is supposed to take care of and it creates an interesting some interesting dilemmas and problems of of what things are health related and what 
what's disability related because often it's a often it's quite a gray area um but i guess one thing to for participants to remember um and for and for dietitians and um health professionals working with people um is that it's worth focusing on well yes this support may in fact assist health and improve this person's health but what's it doing in terms of making them more able to enjoy their life and participate in the community and um, achieve their goals um, so that's that's also quite a change in mindset and and focus is um, is that where you're found Charlie yeah I mean I think uh, it's hard because as dietitians when you're training in at uni you you are you know a lot of that training is focused on the health sector and um, and how to write for other health professionals um, but things like um, you know the document that was put out by the summer foundation and there's several other i think valid's got one as well and you know there's several other um, disability organizations who have put out documents to try and help allied health professionals with how to word um, the, the supports that we're providing uh, in a way that is more meaningful to um, to people that are reading it uh, from the NDIS because yeah that is that there is that shift from just the like the clinical outcomes to the what the actual impact of that is on somebody's life and and sometimes that can be you know it can be really hard to to um, to word it the right way you know you you might know that uh, you know, Mark eating well uh, helps to provide his body with the energy that it needs so that he can go to work each day and he can, um, you know, participate in, I don't know, wheelchair uh, hockey or whatever, you know, whatever whatever he's up to, right? Um, but uh, that's, the, that's the kind of thing that NDIS want to hear about, even though it doesn't, it doesn't sound as... Um, as clinical as what we would normally write. You, you wouldn't write that necessarily in a letter to a doctor, but that's the kind of thing that uh, that NDIS want to hear about. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so what kind of level of reporting do you need to do? Is it after each visit or is this then dependent on the participant getting more funding or can you talk a little bit more about the reporting and how that's linked to funding? Yeah, so, uh, so most of the reports that I write uh, towards the end of um, a person's plan, where um, they're getting ready for a, to, to go for a plan review uh, and you know argue their case for their funding for their next plan, and so a lot of the reports that I write are around. Okay, well these are the supports that have been delivered over what time frame. This is what we were trying to achieve. This is what we did achieve, and this is you know this is how it, it did um, Im impact on the person's life, or um, you know we're still working towards impacting in this way or something like that. Um, the other type of re report that I write, I, I don't call it a report, I call it a support letter and that, uh, you know, that I generally would, would be talking about things like um, over the next 12 months, um, you know, the person, you know, wants to do these sorts of things with a dietitian and that's going to take this many hours um, of total funding and, I'll, you know, that will be broken down as X number of uh, face-to-face visits of a certain length plus 
you know, so much maybe nutrition analysis time if I need to do that or uh, resource creation if I'm creating individualised resources for somebody or this much time spent working with them on their cooking skills. Um, you know, I also need this much time for travel time, uh, you know, and you kind of have to add it all up uh, and show the planners how, um, you know, how, how you're planning to, to use the funding if if they if they're if they're given if it's given to the person with disability, but having said that, that it, that's that's something that I only really do if the person with disability wants me to because there's absolutely nothing stopping anybody um, who's an NDIS participant from requesting any any supports that they feel are reasonable and necessary for them. I don't have to be the one saying that this is what it's not about me saying what they need it's about me providing them with a letter or a report that says this is what's happened this is what we've done this is how it's had an impact you know on them and this is what they want to do next does mm -hmm. that make sense too yeah so then in, in terms of the report or the, the letter of support do you then send that back to the participant as opposed to sending that directly that's correct that's correct because this mm -hmm. it's it's all it's all owned by the by the person mm -hmm. with disability. You know, it's up to them too if they want to provide that letter um, at their plan or not. Um, like I know in the past, I've had a couple of people um, who have been they've both been people who have had um, enteral feeds, where the the families have wanted to request really large amounts of consumables um, to go with. Uh, their the, you know the enteral feeds for their child and I haven't necessarily always agreed that they actually need that um from a from a like mm -hmm. a from a you know in, in my professional opinion I haven't thought that they have needed that mm -hmm. uh and so often in those cases you know, I've I've provided them with two separate letters one that just asks for funding for say the formula and and leaves the consumable consumable bit pretty blank and just says that they you know they're going to request that themselves um, or you know otherwise one that does include the consumables at the level that I think is reasonable but I make sure that the families know that even though I haven't I, I can't see it personally a justification for the uh, the amounts that they want to request that really it is still their choice and it's their decision and if they want to request the, that higher amount there's absolutely nothing stopping them uh, but I, I don't feel like I can necessarily support that professionally does that make sense too? Yeah, definitely. And Mark, it seems like from a participant standpoint, you know, there's a lot to navigate here. Is there resources or people that you can go to if you're new to the system and need help navigating through or do the, do the health professionals help you with that? Um, yeah, I think it, it ends up being different for different people. Um, you know, I'm on the reasonably complex end of the, amount of funding I need and the number of different things um, I need. Um, so when I do a plan review, that can be 10, 20 different support letters from different different people, and that is, that is a lot of work. Um, often there's a sort of one of the professionals in your life might take a bit of a lead and coordinate um, coordinate getting different different things together um, um, there's a there's a type of support called support coordination um, which is um, is about 
um, helping you once you've got funding um, find providers to to provide the supports you're um, you've been funded for. Um, I think arguably a a bit of a problem with the NDIS at the moment, and I think it's it's an area that they will need to work on in the coming years is realizing that um, it's very hard to know as a participant what you should want or what you should be asking for or what you can ask for, um, particularly if you've recently acquired a disability or um, or it's the first time you've, you've um, been eligible for funding. Um, it's when you're sort of asked, okay, Mark, what are your what are your goals for the next five years, and um, and what are your support needs? I often sort of freeze up, and it's 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 difficult. It's like one of those job interview questions that um, are a bit of a nightmare. Um, something I'd advise people to do is before you have a meeting with people from the NDIS, is to actually sit down with your family, friends, um, and do a bit of brainstorming beforehand. Say, like, in a perfect world, um, you know, what are the kinds of things I, I might want? Um, I think that can go a long way and, and make quite a difference. It's mm, a great tip, Mark. And are these reviews typically annually or do they are they for multi-year periods? Um, typically, uh, for people newly in the scheme um, annually, you can also request a review halfway through the year or if something changes. Um, and then um, if things are pretty static and not much changes, then they might set the plan for, for three years um, or, or some period like that. That's been my experience and what I've heard. I'm not sure, Charity, if that's your experience. Yeah, I would say uh, the majority of the, the people that I work with um, are given 12-month plans, but some people where things are perhaps, perhaps they're younger and things are changing a bit more rapidly for them, they might only get a six-month plan. Um, or if they, yeah, like Mark said, if things are really stable, then, uh, you know, I have had one teenager who had a two-year plan, but most most of the people that I have been working with have had 12-month plans. But like Mark said, if things change in the middle of that time, then they are um, really welcome to request a review. Having said that, I think the amount of time that it takes between requesting that extra review and it happening can be highly variable. Mm -hmm. And Mark, from your perspective, what's the number one thing that a dietitian who's thinking about working in this space needs to know or understand about working with people with disability? And how can we do this better as a profession? Yeah, well, I think firstly it's about understanding the the differences of this of this new NDIS system and how it's different to it's different to working in health and it's different to the way disability services worked in the past. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is that um, although they're you know, you'll hear of, of numerous problems um, 
and frustrations and people not quite there being a mix up and people not quite getting the support that they thought they were getting or that you thought they needed. Um, um, that despite all those things, um, it's if 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 we all you know, work together and gradually try and um, give feedback to the NDIS and um, adjust our own systems and the way we work, that um, I think the NDIS will be um, a much better system in the long run and really um, drive much better outcomes for people with disability. Um, so, no, I'd say it's it's really worth if you've if you've got the passion and the and the skills and you um, are interested in really getting to know um, people with disability and their and their lives and working out how you you can um, have an input and and make a difference. Um, it's it's definitely a a worthwhile thing to to keep on keep on chipping away at um, um, because because you're part of that you're being part of that that entitlement that's written into the legislation that um, if you have a if you have a fundamental need to be able to get support that um, that society um, should should put that in place and um, make sure that happens. So, um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's great when, when people want to work in the disability sector. I think on that too, um, as dietitians, you know, we had a really big win uh, in the NDIS last year when the Disability Reform Council came out and, you know, very explicitly said that, uh, consideration should be giving should be given for the inclusion of nutrition support, including dietitian support uh, and dysphagia support products for people who are NDIS participants. Um, and you know, up until then, although dietetics was uh, included under NDIS, we were in their price guide and all those sorts of things. We were often hearing of planners saying, "No, you have to go and see a health dietitian," or "No, go to your GP and get a Medicare plan to see a dietitian." So like Mark said, uh, you know, just this, you know, the NDIS is, is one of the biggest social changes since the introduction of Medicare and it's not perfect at the moment, uh, but it's still really new, really. It's only a few years old, really. And so this is going to take time um, and, it, and it is, there is a lot of hard work at the moment in navigating the system and the system does change quite frequently, um, but... I think it's really worth it. I think it's worth all this effort. Uh, and at the end, once it's all kind of sorted out, it's going to be a fantastic system um, for people with disability primarily. And also it's such a great opportunity at this point in time for providers uh, to, to really help be involved in, um, in advocating for our own professions and why they're important uh, to help support people with disability to live the life that they want the way that they want. Um, and it's a great privilege to to be able to be involved um, at this early time with that. I couldn't agree with you more, Charity. And 
And for those people listening today, what would be your number one takeaway for dietitians around NDIS and what would you want that one takeaway to be, Charity? That's such a really tricky question. <laughs> I think if, if this is something that you are interested in and this is something that you are passionate about, really, I, I, would, I would really encourage you to, to seek out other people that are working in the area, um, learn from them um, and, and come, on, come and join us. Uh, there is, there's so much opportunity for, uh, for dietitians to work in this space in such a wide variety of ways um, and we don't we don't historically have the community-based workforce that uh, a lot of the other allied health professionals working in the space do so we are a, I think what's what the NDIS call a thin market there's not very many of us um, but we would love to welcome you in, <laughs> into the family of, uh, of, of dietitians working um, in disability and we would love to help you as you um, grow your skills in that area yeah is there a DA group somewhere charity or there is a there is a DA uh, interest group there's a disability interest mm -hmm. group uh, there's also um, a Facebook group that some of us are, are a part of um, yeah and I, I do try and get on SharePlate uh, every now and then and try and try and answer questions and things like that but um, yeah, just seek us out. There, there, there are. There's a few of us. There is definitely an interest group, and uh, and they're looking at sort of PD opportunities and that sort of thing going forward. Um, oh, one other thing that I should mention, actually, that I, I forgot earlier on, is that um, if you're if you are working with a person with disability who's an NDIS participant and they need um, like home enteral nutrition products, whether they're oral nutrition support supplements or enteral nutrition enteral nutrition support. Uh, it's really important that you reach out to your to the reps uh, for the of the companies because uh, they are entitled to different funding, not the the general sort of private um, funding. So um, yeah, make sure you get onto your reps if you are working in that space um, and and find out you know the best way to to register someone in your state because I think it does vary a little bit uh, still from state to state, but it's a lot more equitable than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And are you able to share the Facebook group name so people can look it up? Uh, it's recently changed. I think we're now um, Australian Disability Dietitians or something like that. Okay, um, great. But we'll yeah. include a link in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> and Mark, uh, same last question to yourself. So what would be the, your biggest takeaway for dietitians or anyone listening to um, our conversation today? Yeah, I would say... Um uh, rewind this podcast and, and <laughs> have, have another listen and, um, yeah, find, find out as much as you can for, for participants, um, who maybe don't feel like they directly need the services of a dietitian yet, but, um, but, um, are kind of interested in what, um, I don't know, it might be called inclusive cooking or inclusive inclusive uh, um, meal preparation there is a great book called <laughs> easy healthy tasty uh, written by one of Australia's leading dietitians um, it's a book that charity wrote with her co-author and um, charity what's the what's the website 
Oh dear. I don't know if I if I'm supposed to really talk about that on this podcast, but yes, it's easy. Please do. <laughs> so if you visit easyhealthytasty.com, uh, you can find a link to our cookbook or um, youtube.com forward slash easyhealthytasty, and we've got some video recipes that we've put up there as well. That's great. Love a shameless plug, Mark. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything uh, either of you would like to add before we finish? Thanks for having us. It's been a been a really interesting conversation for me, and um, yeah, I, I hope uh, people find that that information useful. Thanks, yeah. Mark. And I guess for, yeah, from my point of view, uh, please feel free to reach out. Um, I'm happy to answer questions from people um, as much as I can, and yeah. We love to work together with uh, with other people who who are interested in working in this space. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark and Charity, for being with us today and sharing your knowledge in this area and your experiences. Um, I know this is an area for both dietitians and participants who are still navigating their way through NDIS. So I know what you've shared with them today and your experiences are really going to help them, either as a dietitian and or a participant, to um, navigate the space. So thank you so much for your time and for being with us today. And I'd also like to thank Fresenius Carby for supporting today's podcast. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. To get all of the links and resources we discussed through this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review for us and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode what you learned and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We really value hearing from you and we really value your feedback. So please, please hit that review button. That's it from us. Thank you again for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. We'll see you on a future Dietitian Connection podcast. 